Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, for you and for the forgiveness of your sins. God fills us with his love, and it overflows in an abundant way as the people of God that he has called us to be. From Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, this is Proclaiming the One with Pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. I, I don't know what to think about that new intro that we have here. I'm uh, A-O-A-O-A-I. Uh, uh, jury's still out for me. Um, welcome, and uh, we pray God's blessings on our time together. This is Proclaiming the One. I'm Pastor Clint Poppy. Along with me is Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Daniel Golden. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Each week, we come together and we discuss the readings for the upcoming Sunday. Today, we're going to be looking at the readings for the third Sunday after Epiphany. Uh, Pastor Moline, are you in an A or mood today, or are you ready for this? I'm more of an E-I-E-I-O sort of mood, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I do, I do. <laughs> and uh, Vicar, thanks for putting that together for us. And uh, since I'm completely out of touch with modern music, uh, I greatly appreciate what you've done for us. And uh, thankfully, it's only 30 seconds a week that I'll have to listen to that. So... Um, Without further ado, we're going to take a look at the readings for the third Sunday after Epiphany, the gospel reading for Epiphany 3, Matthew 8, 1 to 13. Vicar, take it away. When Jesus came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place... There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the centurion, and to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. All right. So uh, we have Jesus revealing himself, epiphanying himself in a variety of ways in this text. Pastor, when Jesus came down from the mountain, 
Um, what mountain are we talking about? Where where are we at with regard to Matthew eight, and uh, what mountain are we talking about? Well, Matthew eight, the mountain that we're talking about is the mount uh, which Christ gave the sermon on the mount from. Uh, tradition holds that this is on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, uh, in that general area at least, and so it's from there Jesus had taught uh, the Beatitudes. He talked about uh, lifestyle and things like that, uh, keeping the law, and how. Um, our identity in him is found. And so Jesus has done all this preaching and teaching, and now he's coming down the mountain and begins with these healings. So we have uh, Matthew that, uh, in a sense, divides his gospel or highlights his gospel with great discourses of Jesus, great speeches or sermons of Jesus. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. And so here, Jesus is done with the Sermon on the Mount. He comes down from the mountain. Uh, Great crowds followed him. They heard his teaching. They were intrigued by his teaching. Maybe some of them even believed that he was Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 2 of Matthew 8, Behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will... You can make me clean. Pastor, is there anything that sticks out in that uh, statement? Because it's not really a question or a demand. What's, what, uh, what is this leper asking? Well, uh, yeah, it, does, it is worded rather interestingly, isn't it? Uh, if you will, you can make me clean. In other words, he acknowledges the reality of who Jesus is, which is why this is an epiphany text. Epiphany uh, allows Jesus' identity to shine forth so we can all understand it. This man understands the identity of who Jesus is. Uh, He is God in the flesh who can do whatever he wishes. And so it's not a question of whether God could heal his leprosy. It's a question of whether God will. And that's exactly the way this man speaks to Jesus. If you will, then you can make me me clean, and that's a great statement of faith that he has there. Okay, so we have this uh, first miracle recounted for us. Jesus heals the leper. If you will, you can make me clean. When he says, Lord, is this a word of respect, or is this a word of faith? Or can can we tell from the text? Well, uh, it could be either one. Uh, The word in the Greek is Courier, uh, and that can be either Sir or Lord. It is the word that is used in the Septuagint to replace the Tetragrammaton or God's name uh, in the same way that we do in our English translations. If you open to any page in your Old Testament, you'll see a page, uh, and on that page, It'll have the word LORD in all capital letters. That is the same thing, uh, courier, uh, LORD. And so it could be either one here. Uh, I like to think that with the way that this man speaks, the rest of the confession of faith that he makes, that this man at least has an idea that Jesus is the LORD. Um, Now, of course, in Matthew's Gospel, that's not made perfectly clear and understood completely until he dies on the cross and rises from the dead. And so... While he has maybe a faith, it's at least incomplete without crucifixion and resurrection. And uh, in this particular text, uh, what does Jesus tell the leper to do? Vicar, does he tell him to go wash in the Jordan River? Does he tell him to uh, 
you know, give a large gift to the church? Does he tell him to go out and do good deeds for the poor? Uh, what does Jesus tell him to do uh, with regard to his request to be healed? He says, don't say anything, and especially on the way to the priest, because it's the priest who uh, must declare him clean, declare him cleansed and holy. And of course, the priest is going to wonder what happened with that. We have... Uh we have something that we oftentimes see in the book of Mark, and we see a lot of similarities here, Mark and Matthew. In uh, verse 3, immediately his leprosy was cleaned. Immediately. There's no, there's no time delay. There's no stipulations. And uh, then Jesus says, like you said, don't say anything. Go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded. Many times people will talk about a Markan secret. We're in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus is constantly telling people, uh, don't tell anybody what just happened. Don't tell anybody what just happened. Uh, we have this here in Matthew, too. Why is Jesus telling this leper, who certainly was excited that he was now healed, why was Jesus telling this leper to keep quiet? Well, um, in this particular instance, it's more like uh, he says, say nothing to anyone but go straight away and do the things necessary to return you to society. He's giving him his life back here also uh, amongst his family and friends. And so it is a little different than the Markan ones, I think, than in this particular regard. In a sense, Jesus is saying, go take care of the things to return home. Uh, don't stop and say anything to anyone on the way. And so I think this one's a little different than the mark in that regard. Don't don't dilly-dally or, right. or dilly-dilly. Uh, don't dilly-dally around. Go take care of business so you can be restored. Yes. Okay. I, th I, I like that. Uh, offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them, them meaning the priests. What is this about Moses commanding a gift and all this kind of stuff? Well, uh, this is the way that it works in the Old Testament. Um, when you are sick um, with, with um, leprosy, when this happens, then you are required upon healing, or at least apparent healing, to go and to see the priest in the temple and to bring a sacrifice. And uh, this is from Leviticus chapter 14, and so I'm turning there right now. But essentially what it is, is it's a sacrifice to declare you clean and to heal whatever had been done that makes you unclean. Uh, and this is a common thing. This is even when we see uh, February 2nd, Second is the celebration of the uh, presentation of our Lord Jesus Christ, at which Mary also goes to the temple to offer a sacrifice of two doves uh, to cleanse her from the blood that was spilled in the birthing process of Jesus. And so this is the same sort of thing, only the leprosy version. Okay. Uh, anything else on, I mean, we, got, we have two miracles in this particular text, Matthew 8, 1 to 13. And in the first miracle, we have a man with leprosy coming directly to Jesus to ask for healing for himself. Well, I think the thing that maybe is worth pointing out in this particular one here is Jesus sends this man to the temple to fulfill what Moses said, which tells us what about this man? 
He's a Jew. He's a Jew. Uh, and, and so we're about to go into the second miracle where it's not a Jew, but rather it's a centurion. And uh, in both these cases, uh, both the, the Jewish man who's healed from leprosy and then also the centurion whose servant is healed, in both of these cases, there is acknowledgement of who Jesus is uh, and the understanding of what his authority is over all things in this world. And... and um, asking Jesus to use his authority on their behalf, which then reflects what our Christian life really is in in general. And so here we have the first one, a Jewish man healed from leprosy uh, that acknowledges the authority of Jesus to do these things, which is the epiphany theme, letting the reality, the identity of Christ shine forth. And uh, I suppose we'll get here to the centurion here in a little bit. Okay, so we have... have, the Jew in the first half of the text. We have the Gentile in the second half of the text. We have the man going directly to Jesus in the first half of the text. We have the centurion who is a mediator. He's going to Jesus on behalf of someone else, on behalf of his servant who is suffering. And so we have two healing miracles, but we also have two uh separate types of miracles under the umbrella of Jesus healing dreaded diseases. The revelation or the epiphany, only God could do this. Only God could do this. We need to take a short break. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for the third Sunday after Epiphany. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Daniel Golden. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We're looking at the readings for the third Sunday after Epiphany. Praise the one who breaks the darkness. Uh, A newer hymn in our hymnal, LSB, but a, a wonderful hymn that talks about the miraculous power of Jesus, God in the flesh, and the miracles that he does, every one of his miracles is light over darkness, God over Satan. And uh, we have two marvelous miracles, healing miracles, in our text that is uh, in our gospel reading for the third Sunday after Epiphany. Matthew 8, 1 to 13 In the first several verses, and we covered that in our last segment, we looked at Jesus healing a leper. The man was immediately healed. Jesus sends him to the priest to show himself, to offer the uh, specific sacrifice that is uh, 
necessary or commanded by God there and restores him, restores him to life, restores him to his family, restores him to worship. And now we have a second miracle beginning at verse 6 in Matthew chapter 8. Vicar, would you read Matthew 8, 6 to 10? Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes. And to my servant, Do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, With no one in Israel have I found such faith. Okay, so here we have the guts of this miracle. And now we have this non-Jewish centurion who comes to Jesus. And once again, Jesus is very, very willing to heal. Uh, You know, in the earlier part, you know, uh, Lord, you can do this if you want. And Jesus says, I want, I want. Here, the centurion comes and he says, Lord... Same word, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. He comes to Jesus on behalf of his servant. Intercessory. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Jesus could have said the word, but instead he offers to come to where the servant is lying. He offers to come to the centurion's house. What is so shocking now about the centurion's reaction to Jesus' offer to come and heal the servant. Well, I I love what Jesus does here because he gives this man the opportunity to make this wonderful confession that he makes here in these next few words that he says. And, And the confession essentially is this. Yes, you could come there, but I also know who you are, uh, at least insofar as your healing ability, that all you need to do is to speak your word and whatever you want will happen. And the way that he explains this confession of faith is he talks about authority. He says, I'm a, I'm a centurion, and so I have a soldier that's over me that tells me what my job is to do, and I also have soldiers under me, and I tell them what their job to do. And when I say, go and do this, they do it. When I speak my word, whatever my word says happens. So, for example, you know, the uh, old drill sergeant thing, you know, uh, when he says jump, the answer is how high. Uh, This man understands that because he's a soldier too. So he tells someone to do something, they do it. And All this is to say, the centurion is telling Jesus, I understand who you are, and whatever you say happens. So if you say, let my servant be healed, it will happen. Uh, And there needs to be no more. You don't even have to travel over there to see him. You just have to say the word, and whatever your word says will happen. He understands Jesus' authority, and that's his confession of faith then, and that's what this whole little section is about. Uh, Both the man before and this centurion, they understand that Jesus has authority because of his identity as the Son of God in human flesh. Could could we say, Pastor, you know, in uh, at the end of Matthew, we have some of the most famous words uh, in all of Christendom, oftentimes referred to as the Great Commission. Uh, 
And Jesus, after he has been crucified and raised from the dead, he's ready to ascend into heaven, and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Can we make the connection between what the centurion confesses regarding authority and what Jesus proclaims at the end of the book, that in a sense, the centurion understands right here and right now what Jesus' purpose is that's going to be further unfolded throughout the rest of Matthew. In a sense, Jesus, I've got the authority over 100 people. And I bark, and they listen. You have authority over heaven and earth and over disease and life and death. All you got to do is say the word. You have that authority. Am I, am I going too far? Am I stretching things here? Or no. are we supposed to be making that connection? We're supposed to be making that connection. And the entire gospel of Matthew is about this, about the authority of Jesus uh, because of his identity. And so that's why Matthew 28 then is kind of the culmination. It's the uh, summary of what you hopefully have been learning throughout the rest of the book, that Jesus has authority because he's God's son and because he dies and forgives sins and rises from the dead to grant eternal life. And so, yeah, that's exactly the whole point of the entire gospel, and it's, it's one of the themes of, of Matthew. Uh, a major theme, and the fact that this theme is already clearly laid before us now in Matthew 8, Matthew chapter 8, we got 20 more uh, chapters to unfold this in even greater glory. Well, I think it's even laid out in Matthew's gospel before this. I mean, we've done John the Baptist already, who says he's not worthy to uh, untie Jesus' sandals and things like that. We have the Sermon on the Mount, in which Jesus does a lot of teaching with authority, and we have it throughout the whole gospel, where uh, people are amazed at him because he preaches as one with authority, not as the other teachers did. And the reason he has this authority is because of who he is. It's in himself. Whereas when we as pastors here do things, uh, the authority, we're operating under the orders of the one who has the real authority, which is Jesus. So we forgive sins, but it's not because we have some ability to do so within ourselves. It's because we have the word of the one who does. Uh, and so this is, again, the big theme. The word of Jesus is enough. That's the thing that has the authority that oversees everything else. In the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ. Um, in Divine Service 1 and 2, the words, and by his authority, are added to the absolution. So, okay, um, verse 10. When Jesus heard this, the man's confession with regard to this authority, Jesus marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I, have I found such faith. He's making a distinction with regard to the fact that the centurion is not Jewish and the whole nation of Israel is Jewish. What is Jesus actually saying here when he says, nowhere in all of Israel have I found such faith? Well, this is another big theme in the Gospel of Matthew, isn't it, is that Jesus is not just Savior for the Jewish nation. He's not just Messiah for the Jewish nation, uh, but he is for the whole world. And again, this is... Uh, Explained in the culmination the in Matthew 28, where Jesus says, uh, when you have gone, make disciples of all nations, 
by means of baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Uh, And so this is great, too, because this indicates to us that Jesus is a Lutheran also because he sends them out baptizing, uh, doing the Lord's Supper, obeying all that Christ has commanded, take, eat, take, drink, uh, and then also with the authority of the Word. And so here we see Jesus preparing us to understand that at the culmination of Matthew 28, uh, and then also to be Lutherans in our theology. We have this uh, this theme here, and some people might say it's a, a mission or evangelism theme. It's just a gospel theme. The gospel is for all people. And lest you get this mixed up, Jesus goes on. Um, I've not seen uh, no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, verse 11 of Matthew 8, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. Uh, Pastor, I'm, I'm not a bright man, but even at the time of Jesus, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are all dead. So what is Jesus saying here with regard to this kingdom of heaven thing? I want to eat at table. I want to gather around the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How do I get there? Well, uh, this is, again, Jesus' teaching that uh, the resurrection um, and the eternal life that he's going to offer by his own work. Uh, and he says uh, elsewhere that uh, he's not uh, that God is not a God of the dead but of the living uh, in speaking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob also. And so he's teaching us about the eternal wedding feast of the Lamb and his kingdom, which is yet to come, of which we partake in a very small uh, earthly way. Uh, still, when we have our Lord's Supper here on earth, we participate in the wedding feast of the Lamb in his kingdom that is yet to come. Uh, And so Jesus is teaching all these things and these ideas already here in Matthew chapter 8 so that it can be fully realized as he dies on the cross, rises from the dead, and ascends into heaven as the culmination of, uh, of what his ministry is. And so it's really neat the way Matthew does this uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit. He keeps on teaching these ideas so that you build and build and build and build and build until finally everything clicks and makes sense later on. So rich or poor, Jew or non-Jew, lowly status like a leper, uh, pretty exalted, important status like a centurion, it just doesn't matter. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world to live, die, and rise again for forgiveness, life, and salvation, you are in the kingdom. You are celebrating and eating at the wedding feast right now as we hear the word and go to the Lord's Supper, all in anticipation of the even greater feast that awaits us when we die. And if you don't believe, woe to you. God's word is clear, and that's another thing that comes out in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus pulls no punches. Um, While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, into that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, hell is real. Folks, apart from Christ, you are condemned and lost in the trespasses of your sins. But Christ has come to save sinners. You, me, and the whole world. Last word on this text, Pastor. 
Yeah, uh, so have the faith of this centurion that trusts the authority of God's word. Uh, have the faith of this Israelite who uh, knows that Jesus can heal. Uh, without that faith, uh, hell is what awaits you, and it is real, and it is eternal, and there's no second chances. So um, trust in our Lord Jesus Christ who sets us free from all this. All right, when we come back from our break, we're going to go to our Old Testament reading for the third Sunday after Epiphany. It's a long one. You might want to get out your Bibles and follow along. Second Kings chapter 5. We'll be right back. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Each week we take a look at the upcoming readings for our Sunday Divine Service. Today we're looking at the readings for the third Sunday after Epiphany. Our Old Testament reading, a long narrative, 2 Kings 5, 1 through 15. Vicar, take it away. Naaman commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothes. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent you Naaman my servant that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive, that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? 
So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him. Oh, I wish we had time to keep reading in Second Kings 5. There's so much more to the story, and I, I hope and pray that this long narrative has whet your appetite because uh, even when God does do a great miracle, we don't always respond in uh, the most God-pleasing way. We want to buy God off. So uh, keep reading in Second Second uh, Kings chapter 5. But we do have an amazing miracle here, and we can see some of the parallels to our gospel reading that we heard in the first two segments of Proclaiming the One today from Matthew chapter 8. We have a commander of the army of the king of Syria, a great man, a mighty man of valor. His name is Naaman. But Naaman has a problem. Naaman is a leper. And uh, leprosy is a uh, terrible, terrible disease. It uh, eats at your body. And uh, before long... um, not only is the pain and disfigurement of the leprosy going to get you, but it's going to be pretty hard to be a mighty man of valor and a high-ranking official for the king of Syria if you look like a leper. They're going to have to be relegated to the bench or, or even worse. And then we have this little tidbit here. The Syrian raids... Uh, maybe even a raid that Naaman had led or commanded, a little girl uh, from the land of Israel, and she became Naaman's wife's servant. We might even be able to go so far as to say Naaman's wife's slave. That's what's really going on here. And uh, one of the things that stands out to me, Pastor, and... uh, Help me if I'm, if I'm missing something here. But in this narrative from 2 Kings 5, servants play a huge role in this account. We have the little slave girl, the little servant girl, who says, you know, um, if he would go to the Israel, to the prophet there, there's healing. Next, uh, the king, all that ensues. Naaman goes to the prophet's door, and the prophet doesn't go out to Naaman. The prophet sends a servant. And then at the end, when Naaman is mad because he doesn't like what the servant said to him, another one of his servants, who just happens to be along for the ride, talks some sense into him so that he goes. Uh, Pastor, am I, am I reading too much into this uh, quote-unquote servant theology that I just outlined here? Uh, well, I mean, that's exactly the way it happens here is that these servants go back and forth. Um, I think 
some ways it kind of explains, again, I'd say this text is about authority, especially the authority of God's word. And so the authority of God's word has created faith in the servant girl's heart that's still there even as she's taken away into slavery. The authority of the word doesn't have to be spoken by the prophet himself. Uh, It can be spoken by the servant of the prophet. Uh, The authoritative word can be spoken even by the servant of uh, the enemy general, um, Naaman here. And so all these things are, uh, again, the idea is, is that God's word is the thing that has the authority. Uh, And so when we take God at his word and believe the things that are attached to his word, um, what God says actually happens. And even in this particular case, the promise is attached to water, which is a great uh, baptismal uh, prefiguring. And in this particular case, it's attached specifically to the waters of the Jordan River uh, that this miracle happens. And so when Naaman takes God at his word and does what the word says, he gets the promises and the blessings that that word promises. So... In other words, and you, you, made, you made my point uh, beautifully, the authority is in the word of God. We have a lot of people in this narrative, 2 Kings chapter 5, who think they're really important. We have the king of Syria who thinks he's important. We have Naaman who thinks he's important. These important people cannot will the leprosy away. They cannot buy off God and make the leprosy go away. It is only the power and the authority of God and his word. Doesn't matter if it's spoken through a little slave girl. Doesn't matter if it is uh, spoken through Elisha's vicar, which is basically what's going on here. Doesn't matter if it is uh, spoken by Naaman's servant who's maybe along only to give water and oats to the horses. Who knows? The word and the authority is powerful because God says so. And as you said, when that word, that powerful word, that authoritative word is connected to tangible things like bread, wine, water, and here specifically the waters of Jordan, that same authority is there doing exactly what God promises. Yeah, and that's that's what we ought to take then from this particular scripture passage. Uh, and this is the point of the entire week, uh, the third Sunday after Epiphany, is to trust the authority of God's word and that that's where our hope and our salvation is found. And I think this is an important one for us to remember when we're dealing with pastors and things as well. You might really like your pastor. He might be a really nice guy, very handsome or whatever. Um, Thank you. Yeah, yeah, he might be. He <laughs> might be. The, the pastor himself is not very important at all uh, as an individual. He's, he ought to be replaceable, but the word that he brings is the part that is truly where salvation is found and the part that is not replaceable. And so that's that's what you ought to look for in a faithful pastor is that he brings you God's word and that he gets out of the way so that that word can have its way with you by the authority of the one who spoke it, which is Jesus Christ uh, and, and really God, the Trinitarian God in general. So that's, that's a key thing for us to remember as we deal with these authority texts as well. 
And uh, for the folks here at Good Shepherd, I think that's a great reminder. doesn't matter if the word comes from the pastor who's been here 22 years or two years or the vicar who's going to be gone in six or seven months. The power of the word, the authority of the word is exactly the same, exactly the same. Pastor, in Bible study a few weeks ago, you made reference to the Naaman's words are not the Albana and Far Par, better rivers. Couldn't God have used them and be clean? What is the unique connection here to the book of Acts? Well, uh, it's interesting because it is to Damascus that uh, St. Paul is traveling when he meets Jesus and is converted from a murderous um, persecutor of Christians into a Christian himself. And so it's just a few miles outside of the gates, probably real close to where the airport in Damascus is now, maybe even underneath the airport, um, that, uh, that Paul meets Jesus. He's blinded. Uh, he hears a word from Jesus, and he goes into Damascus, and he is stewing around in the dark um, for three days, waiting uh, for God to tell him what's going to happen. It's then that uh, God sends Ananias, the pastor, to him, uh, and he preaches the gospel to him, absolves him his sins, baptizes him in the river Farpar, uh, sorry, wrong one, in the river Abana, uh, which is just on the northern side of Damascus. You say, well, how do you know it's in the, the river there? Because that's the only water that there is. <laughs> uh, so he's baptized in that river, the Abana, that Naaman's talking about here, and then he takes food and is strengthened in the way that it's wor worded there. Elsewhere in Acts, this is uh, also connected to the Lord's Supper as well. So uh, St. Paul receives the Lord's Supper, is baptized and, and cleansed in Damascus, the very place that Naaman is wondering if he ought to go back and wash in that river instead, signifying to us that God now has made all waters a blessing and washing away of sin, uh, as we, we often say in our baptismal prayer during baptisms. So when the power, the authoritative word of God is connected to water, the words of a pastor, bread and wine, there God is doing his doing for us for forgiveness, life, and salvation. I just think that is such dramatic irony that Elisha's question is answered in the affirmative with the Apostle Paul. Oh, man, ponder that for a little while. We need to take a short break. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for the third Sunday after Epiphany. When we come back, we're going to take a look at our epistle lesson, Romans 12, 16 to 21. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Praise the one who frees the prisoners, turning blindness into sight. Praise the one who preached the gospel, healing every dread.
Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Daniel Golden. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We gather each Sunday at 8 and 10.30 with Sunday School for All Ages in Between. Every Wednesday evening at 6.30. Please join us. Hear God's Word. Receive God's gifts. Every one of our worship services broadcast live, 95.7 KNNALP in and around Lincoln. If you're too far away to pick up our signal, you can always listen live on our website, www.thecross957.org. You can download the app, listen to us anytime there, check out the many, many theological programs that we have archived, and we'd love to hear some feedback from you as well. We uh, we also have lots and lots and lots of stuff going on uh, at this time of the year, and the first Tuesday in February this year will be our Pancakes for Pecan Fundraiser Pediatric Cancer Action Network. It's a great, great charity. It's a great way to support hurting brothers and sisters around uh, the state of Nebraska and beyond. So come and eat some pancakes and uh, be generous with your gifts. It'll be a great fellowship time and a great uh, fundraiser for a worthy cause. We want to take a look now in our last segment at the epistle reading, Romans 12, 16 to 21. And Vicar, before you read this, let me just remind you that in Romans 12, we really start kind of a last and final subsection of the book of Romans. Romans 1 through 9 is very, very doctrinal, very systematic, and uh, uh 9, 10, and 11 uh, talk a lot about uh, some of the things that we've been talking about, how God's grace is revealed for all people, both Jew and Gentile alike. And then in uh, Romans chapter 12, we have uh, the picture or the depiction of what a Christian and what the Christian life should look like, very, very much uh, teaching sanctification. And that's the section now that we're going to hear. Vicar, take it away. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We have... Uh wonderful, wise words, teaching us what the Christian faith looks like, teaching us how a Christian ought to live and align our life. I, many times the, God, the epistle reading is a practical application of everything that we've heard up until this point. Pastor, help me, help me with this because in our gospel reading, we have Jesus doing a miracle with a leper, a Jew. We have Jesus 
doing a miracle with a centurion, a non-Jew, a Gentile. In our Old Testament reading, we have Elisha, God doing the miracle through Elisha, healing the uh, servant uh, or the uh the uh, the king, the, the commander, king, uh, the commander of the king with leprosy in a very dramatic way with water. Um, how how is this a practical application? Because what we have heard so far, it would seem to me that the theme of the day is authority. Authority. Who's the authority? What's the authority? How does this text tie in with that? Well, it is about authority and the authority of God's Word. And here we see what that Word tells us, um, not so much about our salvation. Of course, that is always one through Jesus Christ. But as a result of that, uh, and being in the faith then, how ought we live? What does God's Word teach us? Uh, and so we see here some things that it says, repay no one evil for evil, uh, give thought to what's honorable, uh, Never avenge yourselves. God takes care of that. Uh, feed the one that's hungry, even if he's your enemy. Uh, if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So Christ has overcome evil by his life, death, and resurrection. We have faith in Christ through the power of his word. And this then is what his word tells us our lives ought to look like. In other words, when you sin against me, it's not my job to take care of that. Christ already has. When, um, when I see my neighbor or my enemy suffering, I'm free in Christ to take care of them because, uh, that's what God's word says. And as a result, then, I think this part's really important. What do we do? We heap burning coals upon the forehead of our enemy. This person's being nice to me, and I treated them so poorly. This person is doing this, and I, I have mistreated them. Uh, we are allowing God's word and God's authority, then, to also come to them. So if I feel guilty about my mistreating you, I am open then to hearing God's word that Christ has died for that sin so that then I might be saved. And when we enter into the next world, I won't be your enemy, but instead I'll be your brother or sister in Christ. Well said. Thank you. Uh, live in harmony with one another. Uh, Vicar, what is the opposite of living in harmony with one another? That'd be living in discord and chaos and sinful hate. That pretty well describes uh, the whole world, doesn't it? It sure does, yeah. How, how does God expect us to do the seeming impossible with regard to living in harmony with one another? Well, to, to do so by not being conceited. You know, we were going back to the theme of authority here. Naaman was... I had authority over hundreds, if not thousands, and the centurion had authority over of about a hundred. When one comes to authority, this I can speak from some personal experience, it is very easily to be conceited. And Paul tells us here, never be conceited. Um, when you are conceited, you're certainly not living in harmony with anybody that you that has been charged to your authority that depends on depends on maybe your your leadership and such. So when you live like that, conceited and full of yourself, hungry for more and more authority, there's nothing that can happen but discord and chaos and evil. When you're full of yourself, there's no room for 
the Word of God and the authoritative Word of God to enter in as well. Uh, if possible, Pastor, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. This, as far as it depends on you, is is that a, a cop-out or is that some sort of disclaimer with regard to how we should live? No, it's an acknowledgement of this sinful world. Um, I can choose to show the love of Christ to you and to be kind to you, uh, and that doesn't actually control how you respond or how you treat me. Uh, the way my dad always taught it to me was control your controllables. You can control what you do. You cannot control what someone else does. And so even if I am uh, super nice, you know, to to some terrorist or something, he still might blow me up no matter how nice I am to him. I can't control that. That's out of my authority. So insofar as it's up to me, I'm free to do that, um, but I can't, I can't control his actions. Only he can do that. And you, you probably shouldn't spend any time worrying about his actions in that respect either, which is what most of us do. Rather than thinking about how we should think, feel, talk, change, repent, we're more worried about somebody else. And as far as it depends on you, I think it's an important phrase. Last thing I want to talk about here, uh, this text is quoted quite often. Vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. Uh, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Um, the wrath of God teaches us very well how God's vengeance is his own. I will repay, says the Lord. What does that have to do with Good Friday, Pastor? Well, um, it has to do with Good Friday because... On Good Friday, Christ hanging from the cross took all the wrath of God upon himself. He bled and died uh, drinking the cup of God's wrath. And he did that for all sin, uh, every single last one of them. So it's now not up to me to pay back those who sin and to say, here's what you've done wrong and here's what your problem is, you big jerk, you. Uh, Rather, uh, Christ has declared through his authoritative word that all sin is forgiven. And he also has declared, as we saw in our gospel lesson, that those who do not have faith in him, that uh, he will send them to the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so, It's really not our job to do that. We're to speak what God's Word says, to speak the truth according to God's Word in love, uh, and to say what God says. We don't have to say any more than that. It's not my job to tell someone they're going to hell or not. Uh, God's Word does that well enough on its own. It's not my job to uh, decide if someone's good or bad. God's Word does that on its own. Uh, And so in love, I speak God's Word with its authority in in uh, the assurance that it is true, and that's all I need to do, and God will take care of the rest through the work of his Holy Spirit. Seems to me that way too many people live their lives full of guilt, shame, pain, planning how they're going to get revenge. Revenge on the person that hurt them. Revenge on the ex-spouse that uh caused their marriage to break up. Uh, Pain and revenge on the person who really, really deserves it. Jesus didn't deserve it, but he took God's wrath for you. 
If you are consumed by rage and revenge, repent. Repent. Believe the good news, the authoritative word of God that forgives you of that sin. Christ has paid for your sin and for the sin of the world. He has been revealed to us as God in the flesh. He is the Savior for the entire world. Vicar, do you want to bring things to a close by praying the collect of the day for the third Sunday after Epiphany? Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, mercifully look upon our infirmities and stretch forth the hand of your majesty to heal and defend us. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 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 For Pastor Moline and Vicar Golden, I am Pastor Clint Poppy. Thanks for tuning in to Proclaiming the One. Sunday morning when you get up, drink your coffee, read your paper, pray for your pastor, and most of all, go to church. God's richest blessings in Christ. We'll see you again next week.